morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Anthony, and this lady is... Yeah, why not? We've put our names on the display as Ant and Joe, so that's nice. Um, anyway, welcome along to our first ever Seedle Sales Podcast. Um, me and Joe will spend today's episode probably talking a little bit about our backgrounds. Um, and we're also today going to have a theme subject of learning through pain points of our sales careers. Um, but we'll talk more about that a bit later on. In addition, um, we have some listener questions. And believe it or not, we asked in advance some of our sales attendees and our sales courses from Seedle.com. Um, we asked them to submit any questions they'd like us to use in our first podcast. And we have a handful of them today. So if you have a sales-based question, if you email salespodcast at Seedle.co.uk, it comes through to me and Joe, and then we will answer it in each podcast. If you're interested, if you're listening to us on your platform, as in your podcast provider, you can be in the live audience. You can sign up on seedor.com, search podcast, and all the podcasts that we record live are available there. Find the sales podcast, and you can ask us real time in the audience exciting questions. Um, and that's kind of the theme. So each week, we will have a theme. Um, we may have a look at what's going on in sales industry news as well. Um, and occasionally we may take a risk and have a guest in here as well. But pff, me and Joe just want to steal the airwaves, to be honest. So that'll be that. Um, and of course, your listener questions. So if you have a question, please email them in and we'll obviously do them in our next podcast. Um, if you're listening to this, and but I say this on purpose, Joe, because ironically, our third most downloaded leadership podcast every month is still the first ever episode. As we find a new listener... They tend to listen to the current episode, then they go right back to the beginning. So if you're listening to this episode in 2046, me and Joe probably have retired by now, hopefully very wealthy um, and not having to worry about podcasts anymore. We probably still do this for fun anyway, I'm sure. So um, anyway, so welcome to all of you um, listening in the audience. Uh, welcome as well to all of you listening on the podcast platform. Can we please ask if you love the, the podcast on the pre-recorded stuff? please vote it five star because the more people that vote it five star, the more visibility it gets, which then means we help discover new listeners. Um, if you think we're rubbish, please tell us. Drop us an email. Tell us why we're rubbish. And me and Joe will embrace it. We'll cry a little bit and then we'll move on and dust ourselves off. That sounds about fair, doesn't it, Joe? I think so. What have yeah. I missed? What have I missed? Tell me. Nothing. I think we've welcomed everybody. We've given a bit of a brief update or background to what we're going to do. We've talked about the topic. So, yeah. All good. Right. So we thought we would start, ladies and gents, and do a little bit of a background on me and Joe. Um, now, many, many, many moons ago, me and Joe used to work together and introduce each other, but we don't want to do that today. So I'm going to hand over to Joe because I've had the first two minutes of airtime all to myself. So I'm going to hand to Joe. And Joe, if you wouldn't mind telling us about your sales career and I guess your role now, actually, um, in whatever order you'd like for the benefit of our lovely listeners, because obviously I know it all. And I'll just sit here and gush about how amazing you are. OK. <laughs> um, OK, so... I'm going to give my age away now, but my career started over 30 years ago. Um, so after I did my studies, I lived in the US for a year in Cincinnati in the Midwest, spent some time with the family, did some studying in, in, in the US. And then I joined a company where actually I stayed for 24 years, I think it was, 23, 24 years. And people often, often say to me, why? Why would you stay in a business for that long? Especially as, as a business such as that because it was a real cutthroat you can't name them i think you're allowed to name huh? them you can name them if you want oh yeah so it was an advertising business in the uk 
um, called Thompson Local. We were absolutely, we were actually the underdog, which made it even more challenging. Um, but I started way back when as a sales support assistant of all things. Um, did that for a few years, learned sort of the basics of sales admin and how you support a sales team and all the things that go with that. And then I decided, you know what, I'm not going to earn any money in this position. Um, and we know as salespeople, it is about making sure that we do right by the client. Of course it is. But it's also from a sales perspective, you are driven and you want to achieve targets because one, you like the, the feeling of that achievement and secondly you want to earn money so i quickly realized that the money was likely to be in a sales role so i moved into a telesales actually internal role um where i spent quite a few years learning my craft being on the front the, the sort of the cold face of cold calling having a cold calling target where day in day out you're ringing customers to try and get them interested in your product which for those of you that have done that on this call today you know how challenging and how difficult that can be and how demotivating it can be at times but on the flip side wow there's loads and loads of highs that are wrapped around that so i spent time there i then moved into sort of leadership um so sales leadership um and then i went into back actually went backwards i went back into field sales so i've sort of done the basics around sales admin and sales support. I've moved into telesales. I've gone then to field sales. I've then gone into sales leadership. And then I spent probably eight years in an L&D role within the same company. So the reason I wanted to take that step was really because everything that I'd learned as a salesperson, as a sales leader, how can I then give that back? How can I give that experience and that knowledge back to new recruits, new salespeople? Um, and I'm a real firm believer that using those experiences, being able to demonstrate that you've done the role, done the job, hit targets, experience some of the pain that they are going through, these, these people, it can really help. So I did that and then I went back into sales leadership before moving into another business area um, or another company. Again, that was in within sales leadership. Um, again, learned so much. It was publishing and advertising again. But then I took a completely different direction and I went to work for HSBC Bank. So most of you will have heard of HSBC Bank. They're a global bank. They're probably the bank that everybody knows about across the globe. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I did a lot of coaching. So I used my sales experience to become a coach, a coach that, of, of people that looked after high net worth clients, um, managers that looked after managers that looked after high net worth clients um and then I, i've spent quite a few years in a professional services company um again as an lnd professional leading a global sales team or global lnd team um so i sort of progressed my career really but if i look back on my sales career when i think about it way back when you know starting at the bottom really helped me because i learned the craft i understood the industry I could experience those highs and lows that salespeople go through. Um, and that's really been the platform for me to be able to go on and do what I do today. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of a background on me. I've probably missed out the um, the selling coal in America though, but I'm going to leave that one to you, Anne, because you're going to add to that anyway. Well, so Joe and me, uh, how we met, I'll, I'll come on to in a minute, but um, as part of our courses when we used to do these things face to face do you remember that that well pre-covid 
uh, amongst other things. Um, me and Joe used to each introduce each other, and because we were doing this every week with new groups of people, um, I used to make stuff up to see if she noticed. Um, so, and one particular story that stuck through many different groups of people, as I used to t- say, that you just, she used to sell coal in in the US just to watch her reaction and then people sometimes she didn't pick up on it and then people genuinely believe for the next two weeks of the course that she was a coal salesperson in the US so that was always nice but um, I'm not sure how good I'd be at that but hey no nor me well I guess people would be warm though wouldn't they you know that's the beauty of selling coal yeah, but um true. so um so, so me then um a, a slightly different um path to Joe and it's quite funny I remember talking to a headhunter once who would contact me because I'd worked at one particular employer, but they said, your CV is weird. Can you, how, how did you get to where you're at? Um, so I started my career in radio on air. Um, I've got a face for it. I know you don't need to tell me. Thank you, audience. Um, and um, I then quickly realized, similar to Joe, that the money to be earned was in um, the sales side of radio. So I was passionate about the product. Um, and I wanted to go and sell. And one of the beauties of sales and Thompson's where me and Joe met was that actually it was quite a structured sales process. That said, in radio, it was much more about relationship building first um, and then kind of going in. So the, the, the sales process was a quite a disciplined discovery relationship build phase before talking about the products and services. And it was very much a solution-based sell. So that was where I started my sales career. I did really well at it, actually, and I think it was because I was passionate about the product. I also was very financially incentivized, and I also wanted to have a company car. So those things kind of kept me focused on, I've got to keep hitting these targets because I want to keep the lifestyle, I want to keep the company car. Um, And that was kind of my logic, which is a bit of a twisted logic, I guess, but it it worked. Anyway, I did very well, and then one day, um, I then was approached by a competitor radio group who said, come and work for us as a sales manager. So two things happened. Number one is I was on three months notice with my old radio group. And during the notice period, naturally, they want you to be in the office because they can keep an eye on you rather than putting you on garden leave and then you sneakily talking to the clients anyway. So instead, they stopped me talking to any of my clients. And for the three months notice, they asked me if I'd train up new recruits on the product because they knew that would be relatively safe. And the new recruits would obviously tell them if I was doing anything naughty, which I wasn't. And I was quite, uh, you know, passionate about being loyal. And... Long story short, I really enjoyed the training bit during my notice period. So I kind of had a feel for, oh, I like this kind of side of the the job. Anyway, off I went uh, to a competitor radio group called UKRD Group, who um, uh, were similar to Thompson's, actually, the underdog. So I went from a um, the market-leading radio company. They're called Global today. They own Car and Capital. They're a huge brand around the UK. They own loads of outdoor brands as well. And anyway, so I went from this big monster company to this small um, independent radio group who were the underdog. But actually, um, I was thrust into sales management for the first time without any training. And after a few weeks, I thought, actually, do you know what? I hate being people manager because... I don't know, again, in the live audience, um, you may or may not relate to this, but there's nothing worse than being over-promoted without the right support. Unfortunately, the age-old issue, and me and Joe talk about this, and by the way, we, we have a white paper on, on Try Digital Learning's website, all about the fact that most businesses hire for technical skills, but they fire for soft skills. And what happened was I'd been hired for my selling skills into this radio group, 
and they wanted me to go and create a load of clones. So they had these underperforming eight salespeople who they wanted me to just go and whip up into a frenzy. And ultimately what I realized was is that, that that's only part of the job is getting them to understand how to do the job properly. The other part of it was managing people, emotions and all the other things. Anyway, long story short, um, I then fortunately went, they put me on a leadership program because I said I wanted to quit. I said, you know, my old company said I can go back there. I I'm actually want to go back to just selling, thanks. And they said, no, 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 we, we really believe you could be a great leader. So they put me on a leadership program. And long story short, um, I then um, fortunately got very good at leadership. So um, I stuck around. Long story short, though, I still had that burning desire to go into learning and development because I'd had this taste of it in my notice period. So um, I then saw a job with Thompson Directories, Thompson Local um in i god what was this now this was 14 years ago in fact we met joe 14 years ago on sunday wow you've got a good memory 21st of because well, i joined on payday and it was always on the 21st i think yeah. so i joined on payday march 20 2007 um so yeah 14 years ago on sunday anyway and on my first so they they had a, a very regimented sales onboarding program at thompson directories and i and my boss was this militant lady called cat um, who incidentally I'm still friends with today, as is Joe, and we go out for dinner quite regularly and we mock her for how militant she was when she was our boss many moons ago. And if she happens to listen to this podcast, she'll say, you bastard for saying such a thing. But fuck you, I'm telling you anyway. And I will mark this podcast as explicit, by the way, in case you're complaining. And we do say this on the description in cedar.com. We do use colourful language. There you go. There's your disclaimer, Joe. Anyway, right. So on my first day, I then get put on a two-week sales induction course with a lady called Joe Shepherd. Um, who, for those of you that are listening to this podcast and are looking at us, you can see that, you know, it looks like me and Joe are identical age because I'm so much more youthful <laughs> than her. Um, oh, yes, if only. Anyway, so I, as part of the induction, I had to go through the sales induction program and then go and sell for five weeks. And then I moved into sales education. Um, and then I ran my own business for a while, um, which incidentally, that was 10 years ago um, this week, actually. And there's a whole different topic there for a, another day. Um, did that for four years, um, had some highs and lows with that. Um, and then um, as I sold the asset in that business with two other business partners, um, I was then approached by a big global information company called IHS. IHS approached me through a headhunter thinking I worked for Thomson Reuters, not Thomson Directories. So they asked me to go for an interview and it was only when I got to interview. They said, well, tell us about Thomson Reuters then. And I went, "Hey, No, no, no. Thomson Directories. And I think the recruitment agent had even edited the CV they'd got to say Thomson Reuters. Long story short, they gave me the job because they loved me anyway. So actually out of 100 people and the rest of them had had some Thomson Reuters on their CV and I had had none, I ended up getting the job, which was very nice. And and anyway, so I, I had two and a bit years there before I was then headhunted by the company that um, that I then have just left to come and join Seedl with Joe. Um, so I've had this really bizarre career because... Um, when I was running my own business, I was selling to really long tender processes. So when I was selling radio, you were talking to small business owners. And then I got promoted to go and sell to larger national clients through advertising agencies. In the directory space, me and Joe were training people to go and sell to, you know, one man bands, plumbers, electricians, builders. Um, and then when I was doing the software um, in my own company, we were selling to NHS trusts. We were selling to local councils um, and the buying process in all of these different spaces was hugely different. 
And incidentally, the reason IHS took me on is they realized that the structured sale was missing from a lot of large value transaction sellers. So in these big multinational organizations, they would hire people for their knowledge of the subject matter. So IHS were hiring people that were qualified engineers because they had an electronics um, information business, aviation enthusiasts because they had an aviation business, an energy business. So they hired all these degree qualified people who didn't have the soft skills to actually engage with people. So they actually wanted to bring me into IHS to help with that. What of course I learned at IHS though was was making sure that dealing with multi-personas, multinational clients, where you had one buying authority in the UK, another one in the US, another one in Penang in Malaysia, and all these people's motivations to engage with us as a company were completely different. So um, over time, me and, me and the team at IHS built all this weird and wacky curriculum to try and work out how to win over these different stakeholders and personas and became really good at it. Um, and then so much so that then TMF, my previous employer, came along and said, can you please come into our business and run the whole L&D function? And then they literally on my first day said, here's a budget of a million euros. Don't mess it up. Um, build a learning function. And anyway, that's four years ago. And then Two years ago, I then gave Joe a call. Actually, I've been calling her for two years since I joined, going, come and join me, come and join me. I have a budget, come and join me. She goes, no, I'm not working for you, you ass. Um, and then over time, I managed to tempt her away from HSBC. And I remember people saying to me, how on earth did you get Joe to leave HSBC, a wonderful, the world's local bank, to come and work for TMF Group, this chaotic, um, multinational, big company, but was far from structured, as you and me, Joe, discovered in the two years we worked together there. How's that for an intro? Is that right? Any comments from the audience, by the way? You know, we're conscious we talk. Now, for the people listening on the recordings, um, you won't get to comment. That, that's, probably a, that's probably my history and Joe's history. Me and Joe, though, um, ran courses for three years, pretty much. Every three or four weeks, we had another group of people. Um, and the beauty of us running those courses was that every fortnight you were reset and your audience were completely had no expectations and what me and joe used to love about that job was was just getting these people from a place of not knowing what they didn't know to being really excited about selling and often the competency level of these new joiners in the job me and joe work together could be a mixture of they've never sold before but they've got some fire in their tummy for what they want to do right through to people that had sold for our major rival yellow pages in the uk who actually ironically had sold on the brand rather than having to go out and really sell um, and trying to get them to unlearn and relearn new things was was bonkers. So that's, yeah, there you go. Joe, um, anything you'd like to add to your exciting history? No, but I was just thinking about what you said when somebody said to you, <clears throat> you know, how did you get manage to get Joe from HSBC? Um, and that's a really good question because in a way, when I've reflected on that, because I'm still asking myself that question, how did you get me to come from this stable business with a fantastic pension, a very stable, safe job? Um, and whilst it took you a long time to persuade me, actually, it you were really selling to me. And it's almost like you're selling to me without me realizing at the time that you were selling to me, if that makes sense. <laughs> And that are you saying I misled of, you? Oh, good goodness! No, but you know, you were talking about the benefits. You were talking about. You were asking me lots of questions. Um, you were persuading me, influencing me, 
And all of those things lend themselves to being a really good salesperson. And had you not have done all those things and just said, look, you know, come to TMF, we've worked together before, I think you'd be great. I probably would have said, you know, great that you've thought about me, but you know, I'm quite, I'm quite happy where I am. So it's really funny because sales lends itself in so many different ways. Mm. Um, and that's just almost an example of selling to me, but without realizing that, that I'm being sold to, which is, that's when sales becomes amazing, I uh, think. Uh, you make a really good point though. And I think a lot of non-sales people refuse to join sales programs because they don't want to be a salesperson. But actually, I would say some of the most important assets you can have from selling is influencing skills. And yet, if you look at learning needs analysis of businesses that we talk to at the moment, in fact, I saw a data sheet yesterday for one of our prospects and their biggest, um, in fact, I have the print out here, which I'm not going to show on camera, but it is persuasion skills is their biggest weakness, their second biggest weakness. The first one is self-development, as in identifying their development areas. And the second one is persuasiveness, um, selling to stakeholders. And and I, I would agree with Joe there that, yeah. And the other thing that I think I've learned from, from Joe uh, in terms of getting her to join me at TMF is persistence. <laughs> yeah. Because often we, we, we have a set of prospects that we want to go and sell to. And we call them once and we assume that data is now spent. You know, I've called them up. They've said no, they're not interested. And then we just tear up the, the prospect card and stick it in the bin. Now, unless the, the prospect says to you, get stuffed, I never want to hear from you again. That probably just suggests not today. Um, and you just have to be clever um, and be persistent. And and I'm trying to think back about some people you and I had worked with in our Thompson's times. And we used first names only. But do you remember a lady called Sonia? Mm-hmm. So I went out with Sonia. I know this is a very random episode of our first podcast, but to try and give you all a flavour a bit about our backgrounds, this is probably quite a useful use of our time, isn't it? So I remember going out with Sonia once and she used this tactic of just ignore. She got the meeting with the prospect. So I went with her on a new business selling day um, and literally she would, objection handling, she just pretended she never heard it. <laughs> uh, anyway, as I was saying, and then she just carry on. And then before you knew it, the client, the prospect has sold a contract, signed a contract with her. And guess what? They stayed with her for years as well. They didn't cancel within the 14 days. They stayed with her and they upsold every year and they got great results from it. But the thing I learned from Sonia was persistence. Um, but yeah, with, with Joe, absolutely. Go on, Joe, sorry. I was gonna say also, I think it's all about building the relationship. You know, how do you build a relationship with a, with a prospect? How do you become that trusted advisor and enable that client to know that you are there to help them, support them, meet their needs, you know, deliver a product or a service that they feel completely confident is going to work. Um, and I'm a really firm believer in, you know what, you have the best products in the world. They might, you might have the right solution, but if you aren't in a really strong position to build a relationship with a client and they trust you enough to want to do business with you, it, it really doesn't matter. And I'll tell you what, I worked with somebody in our previous company, not in, not in Thompson's, but more recently in the global business that we were at. Um, and they had what, 130 salespeople in amongst 8,000 staff. Um, and this one particular guy had not come to the business with any experience at all. So he was actually a captain in the army. All of the salespeople, the majority of the salespeople came with an immense amount of 
technical experience they were accountants they were qualified lawyers they had you know they almost came with a portfolio of clients and this one particular individual he didn't because obviously he'd been in the army so he didn't have that sales background background to draw upon or that client base to talk to but you know what i spoke to him fairly recently actually and he'd had a really really good year so last year for him when he looked at the performance he was up there with you know amongst the top performers um and i said to him you know you've had a really great year how have you managed to do that what have you done what is it about you that's been able to to perform as well as you have and he said one thing he said you know what joe i don't come with this load of experience i'm not a qualified lawyer or a qualified accountant he said but what i am really good at and what i've done brilliantly well this year is i've built really trusting relationships mm. and my clients trust me enough to know that I will do my best to help them. And if I make a sale, it doesn't end there. I make sure that I keep in touch with them. I look for future opportunities. I'll be looking for cross-sell and upsell opportunities. So I think that is as important in have, as having the knowledge and the technical expertise. You need that, of course you do. But if you have that without the, the ability to influence, persuade, build a relationship, care enough about your client that you want to help them, the rest of it, you're never going to be as successful, um, you know, from my experience anyway. No, I'd agree so with you. I just you. wanted to add that. It's funny, actually, um, if you and me look at our time training new joiners, often the people without the previous experiences tended to outperform the people that came with a bucket load of experience. And I don't want to use the term old dog, new tricks, because these people were varying in age. It was nothing to do with their age. It was actually their length of service within a sales environment. And yeah. if they happened to be really good at selling a certain product because they were passionate about it, that was one thing. But to Joe's point, um, you know, if, if you have a, a very compelling business case to get someone to part with money and you're dealing with one decision maker, you can have a relatively structured sales cycle which will knowing that you go and see 15 customers in a week you're going to close six of them and they're going to spend on average two thousand us dollars and guess what that's your target done for the week and that that worked very well but i often think that joe makes a really good point that often the relationship bit is missed and people do by people and therefore there is the other challenge of course is that companies will go and hire people with a book of business um, that yeah. they're going to bring across from their previous employer, which is all well and good, but actually you've got a hole in the bottom of your bucket because those people will spend 18 months bringing those prospects on board in the new business. And guess what? Then the new business target doesn't get met anymore because they have no one else in their network that's going to be new because they've brought them all over. And guess what they do? After two years, they move to another company and they then steal that portfolio away from you onto them. So I've often been of the belief that hiring people with a portfolio of customers is good if you know that you can keep them beyond the that, that salesperson moving on to another business. But if they're only joining your company on the basis of an individual relationship, that's a risk. You're much better, therefore, thinking about bringing on people that are going to build a really good relationship with your prospect network and buy because of them and the company, not because of the person. Um, but it's an interesting, as, as Joe says, I know this person as well, uh, begins with Q, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And yeah, really good guy. And also there was another really high performing salesperson who was the only salesperson that had no understanding of the product or service. They understood the product, by the way, but they weren't an accountant. They weren't a lawyer. They were based in the US. The lady began with M. Do you remember her? Um, 
And there was another guy, actually, a guy called N, who we work with now, incidentally. Um, and these people were not necessarily experts from their industry, but they were blooming marvellous relationship builders. And most of your products and services, if you are a salesperson, you need to work out whether you are selling a fast-moving consumable good type sales role, which is therefore, I'm going to see you once a year. Outside of that, it's very transactional. You'll deal with the call center and I'll be back in a year to renew. That is one type of salesperson, which actually is quite a lonely existence because it's a fast-paced, aggressive environment. But if that's your environment, then great. But where I see longevity in sales organizations is people that, to Joe's point, are cradle to grave and the client absolutely trust everything they say and they don't feel like they're a salesperson um so yeah uh, interestingly though joe a qu question for you um would you classify yourself to be a legacy salesperson or a consultant consultative it, when I look back at my experience and, and what I've done I would say I'm quite a consultative salesperson and I always put myself in the shoes of the client and I think or the prospect and think how would I feel about how I'm selling to this person I don't even like to use the word selling but how I'm dealing or consulting with this person so I tend to try and put myself in their shoes and see the situation through their lens because then you sort of get on their wavelength a little bit. So I would say that I'm, I'm, you know, I would probably say I'm much more consultative than anything else, but that's because that's how I, well, that's worked for me and how I, you know, I try to see things through their eyes. So um, but yeah, we, we did a study at IHS a few years ago and we asked the sellers to put themselves on a spectrum between seller and consultant and then we then looked at their sales numbers based on where they were and married them up and there was a correlation the higher performing sellers were the consultant end of the selling spectrum um and i would align with everything that joe's just said to be honest um for me i was a useless salesperson i was a bloody bloody good consultant um i didn't want anyone to feel like they've been sold to I want them yeah. to decide to buy, which is what you and me, Joe, used to talk about from a psychology perspective. You want people to yeah. decide to buy rather than be sold to. Exactly. Um, uh, you don't want them leaving thinking, oh, I'm really not sure. You want them to feel confident that they've made the right buying decision and actually I trust what Joe's told me. And actually what I really enjoyed about my job, especially in radio, because it was very much about relationship first, product and service second, was the products were there to solve a problem for them. Yeah. Um, and I think me and Joe also know from working in organizations more recently where ROI, return on investment, isn't not particularly easy to articulate. What you're demonstrating is a mitigation of risk um, and efficiency of performance. So it's not necessarily spend £10,000 with me and you're going to make £100,000 in return. It's going to be with this and other actions that you're going to take with your organization, this will all mitigate or make sure that you achieve your aspirations and prevent from these mistakes from happening. Um, so me and Joe were um, training some salespeople to sell accountancy and tax services and, and legal, you know, legal services and things. And often those customers did not buy from the company off the basis that they were going to make profit from it. More often than not, it was about 
continuity. It was about compliance. Um, it was about mitigation of risk. Um, it was about expansion, but it was about facilitating the expansion rather than us helping them generate new business, if that makes sense. So often, um, I think salespeople in terms of mistakes, which moves us on to our theme for our today's discussion, which I know we only have 20 minutes left, but anyway, and we've got three listener questions as well, actually, we might have to skip the theme. Um, anyway, uh, the, the, uh, the, the salespeople that I tend to come across that don't do very well are the ones that are purely focused on what they're selling rather than understanding the client's problem. And I think me and Joe, go on, Joe, you, you're going to say something. Yeah, I, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, when you look at sales process and you think, okay, at the very beginning, you've got to make sure that you introduce yourself, the client knows who you are, all of the basic stuff. But for me, the most important thing before you even start to talk about your products is what you might call a client discovery meeting or a need finding meeting or just understand what the client needs. Have that conversation with him. Ask those questions. Identify facts about the business understand what you know how can you turn those facts into specific or as we call it, explicit needs and that's when you start to become that consultative salesperson because you're not just selling for the sake of selling you have taken enough time to get under the bonnet of the car as i say deep dive probe find out more understand what the, the client wants to achieve understand what his pain points are ask some of those negative consequence questions you know what would be the impact if you don't do something about this you know what is going to be the long-term um situation if you don't act on this so you sort of disturb the complacency so you know find out about the client find out about what they want to achieve find out what they want to do with the business where they want to take it what their problems are what their pain points are because that's when you can say right I've got a really good view of the business. I understand it. I know what you want to achieve. I understand what your problems are. Let me now talk to you about my, you know, this business, this product, this solution, um, and let me relate it back to what you've told me during that client discovery meeting. So that, yeah, absolutely. Trying to do it the other way around. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it definitely isn't as effective. And the client then thinks, God, this, wow, this person really cares about my business. He's really interested. They're really taking the time to delve a little bit more. And when they, when they start listening to you and you're talking about your company, your product, your solution, they then start to think, okay, yeah, I can see how this will work. I can see that actually what they're offering me is going to make a difference. It's going to mitigate that risk. It's going to overcome that problem. Um, and I've seen that happen time and time again, successfully. Me too. It's quite funny, actually, because me and Joe often read new sales methodology stuff that comes out all the time, mainly because we'll have clients say to us or internal stakeholders previously say to us, can we do this methodology? And, oh, we've read this book and the, the chief sales officer read this book and they want everybody to do it. And actually, when you really tear it to pieces, it all comes down to the same stuff. If you, I think... Too often, salespeople don't understand human buying psychology. Joe made the best point ever right at the beginning, which is put yourself in the client's seat. Follow their journey. Don't create, you know, don't get me wrong. We want to edge them towards a yes decision at the end, which is your close. But ultimately, we want to assist someone on their buying journey. Often, if you are in charge of cold calling those particular prospects, you have to grab their attention that you can help them solve a problem. Do not lead with... Uh, my product or service because that's when it does become this age old this 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 the, the, the sentence i hear is well it's a numbers game well it is if you're just selling 
Don't get me wrong, there is a numbers game involved in getting through to the right person at the right time. But actually, more often than not, if you're clever at what you do, um, it isn't a numbers game. And and there is another interesting thing which might be worth us kicking around for a second, Joe, which is um, the debate of whether sci- uh, sci- selling is a science or an art form. Um, and I've had so many debates with senior heads of sales. In fact, one of them is is offered to be on our board, incidentally. And me and him used to have fierce debates about this because he said one thing and I said the other. What's yours? No, I was going to no, I was going to ask you that question. What's yours? What's your take on it? Um, it's both. I don't. Think, I was going to say that. Yeah, I was actually going to say that. No, no, I, and I imagine you would. You, you and me would would agree with it. And this is the problem. I think some people think it's pure art. It's all about the, the you know the, the suaveness and the style and things over substance. And others think it's mechanical and therefore you can have a robot do it. No, you can't. You you need both of those things. And that's why me and Joe get so frustrated when cold calling, someone gives you a script. Why would you do that if you've hired someone for? them being a great character in interview but now you're going to give them a robotic script guess what you're turning selling into a science but i will challenge you a bit on that one oh, because no. i do no i agree nobody wants to listen to somebody that's reading off a script but i do think when you've got somebody that's brand new into a business and learning for the first time then sometimes just having something that they can use to practice and then add their own personality their own narrative to it i think that can be really helpful but you know based on the fact that most of the time we are dealing with experienced people they don't need that script um but for newbies having some sort of framework that they can really use to help them can be quite beneficial i'll meet you halfway then on on, to your point a i think you skeleton did you say yeah, well, I didn't use that, but I normally do. But framework or framework, sense. framework. I think about it. Is, you know, if you're an actor or an actress, whatever the right terminology is, um, and you are given, you, you know, you get your script, and they say, right, this is your part, this is your script, this is what you need to say. They'll they'll under, they'll read it, they'll understand it, and then as soon as they get on stage in front of that camera, they will bring that character to life using the the words that they've seen in that script but they'll use their own words to put their own style and personality to in, into it so i sort of think of it like that you see but again you see that's so, newbies so so where i would come back and and uh, and i know where you're going and i and i promise to do that and i'm paying devil's advocate slightly is therefore i would say the best actors are the improv actors because yeah. they are given um some bullets of markers to hit from their ad-libbing with the other character on stage but ultimately how they get there is down to their own interpretation, to your point of embellishing their character. So yeah. for me, not having a script allows that ad-libbing, but to Joe's point, the structure is critical. I know that I need to hit these 10 markers as part of my cold calling. I you know, I stick in an interest arouser, I do a mini discovery, I do some credentialing about myself and the company without sounding arrogant. Um, I ask them for an appointment and give them a reason why the appointment might be valuable to them. You know, those things are good. Um, My problem is when it's a script, very quickly, the recipient, again, on the buying journey, thinks you're reading a script. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, I'm conscious, Joe, we only have 17 minutes left of our podcast. So we have three listener questions. And we had a theme, although we never promoted the theme. So I don't think anyone in the live audience or our listeners in the recorded podcast is going to be disappointed. Do we shun our theme for next week and instead go to listener questions? 
Well, should we ask our panel? Well, our, our live audience. Our live audience. Our panelists. Uh, so, live audience, if you'd like us to do listener questions, please put your hands up now. Okay. So there's a there's already a majority of hands going up here. Now I'll put uh, put your hands down again. If you'd rather we spend the the final 17 minutes, or oh, they're putting the hands up twice and putting the hands down. Quite slightly trying to hold the hand down and they're putting it back up again. Anyway, if you'd like us to um, cover um, our theme um, and we do a very short version of the questions, then put your hand up now. Hmm. Well, a minority of hands. So the 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 the, the listener questions have it. Um, so if you're in the live audience and you'd like to ask us a listener question, um, you can submit that in the Q&A box. You can mark it as anonymous as well. For those of you that are listening um, from the recorded, if you want to submit your question, please email us at salespodcast at seedle.co.uk. Salespodcast at seedle.co.uk. And that will come through to me and Joe, and then we will answer them in next week's podcast that's kind of how we work it by the way on the leadership podcast me and jb get really cross about this no one ever messages us back to say what they did with the answer that we gave them so can we ask a favor if we give you some advice off the back of a listener question do please tell us how you got on with it there's nothing so me and jb have some really we had this question the other week where the company was basically firing this person um but they had to fire everybody else before they fired them so they're on notice and they were going to get a leaving bonus on condition they fired everyone else and they said morally and ethically what do they do and me and jb were like oh my god this is a really and it was a really quite a tough question to answer which we did and if you're interested have a listen in the leadership podcast to it and we then said to them please let us know how you got on nothing in fact i have their email address maybe i replied to them saying how dare you have you been fired yet <laughs> i'm kidding <laughs> um right uh, Joe, you've got the questions in front of you, haven't you? Do you want to read the yeah, first one I out? Have. So the first one was, um, how do you self-motivate for cold calling when you're working remotely? Um, who's that one from? John in Oldham, okay. up north. Up north in the UK. Okay, so how do you self-motivate for cold calling when working remotely? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Yeah, um, you know what? This is a really big area, isn't it? cold calling is tough there is no getting away from the fact that doesn't matter how good you are doesn't matter how brilliant you are at building a relationship it's probably one of the toughest parts of selling even i think personally even tougher than closing because if you get to the close then you've done a damn good job you know to get that far down the sales process you've done well so so trying to motivate yourself when you're cold calling is tough trying to motivate yourself when you are working remotely so you don't have an, a big load of people around you you know you're working in your home your home might be really small you might be working with other people in your house all of those things come into play so for me personally i mean i'm not in a particular i'm not in a situation where i do have to cold call at the moment but I do have we do have people in our business that are currently doing that um, and probably experiencing some of the same as you know our, our listeners for me it's all about making sure that you set yourself mini goals so if you sit there and think oh god I've got a whole day ahead of me of just picking up the phone emailing people it's going to drive me crazy I would always give yourself some mini goals to achieve so that might be setting yourself hourly cold calling stints so who can you get through to within an hour so challenge yourself so set yourself a little bit of a mini goal self-motivation applies to anything it doesn't matter whether you're an olympic runner 
or you've got to do the housework or you've just got to get your job done it doesn't matter you've got to have that ability to think like what is going to self what am i what do i need to do to to motivate myself enough to to do this job this task to the best of my ability and to be the best version of myself because actually that's really important when you're cold calling you want to sound as, as energetic at eight o'clock in the morning as you do at five o'clock in the afternoon so give yourself mini goals um you could set yourself a time challenge so if you want to do it over a course of an hour take five minute break walk away from your screen walk away from your desk and if you're in a position where you can walk outside i would do that okay don't sit there in silence and plug the phone especially when you're getting loads of rejection which as i will say you're going to get lots of rejection you've almost got to accept it because that's what happens you know people will say no but you could get 50 no's and you get that one yes and it changes everything so mini set yourself mini goals i would also take regular breaks so if you say to yourself right i'm just going to i'm going to sit down at my desk at 8 30 in the morning i'm going to get away from my desk and take a proper break get myself something to eat get a snack get a coffee listen to some music whatever it might be for 15 minutes and then i'm going to come back to it so regular breaks um set yourself little goals if you are in a position where you can play some motivational videos beforehand i've done that before things like i know it sounds crazy but things like the wolf of wall street you know that guy's crazy if anybody's ever seen that film um, but if there's anybody to, to get you fired up, it would be um, Leonardo, is it Leonardo DiCaprio? So yeah. he's a really good, I've watched that video beforehand and, and that makes a really big difference. Um, and I think, yeah, just accept reject, rejection and don't just keep plugging on and banging your head against a brick wall and just come away from that day feeling, oh my God, that was just a complete waste of time. I feel so demotivated. And the reason that I don't want you to feel like that is because when you wake up in the morning knowing that you've got to do the same thing, you're not going to be in the best place. Your headspace isn't going to be where it needs to be. So give yourself time away. Pick up the phone and speak to somebody that you know that will be able to motivate you maybe. Um, even though you might be working in an office on your own, there'll be people in your office sorry, in a house on your own, there will be people in your business that you could go to, to say, look, I'm about to do some cold calling, you know, give me some inspiration give me some motivation. It might only, it might just be that, it might be that one little thing that makes a difference. So that's what I would say. What well, I've got nothing left to say. Thanks very much, Dino. Um, to echo Joe's big thing, and the, the point I want to labour is structure and yeah. minimal distractions um if it's the worst bit yeah. of the job which let's be honest cold calling generally is i don't i don't think i've come across many people that actually thrive for the cold calling day um if you find them please put them in our direction because i'm sure our sales team would love <laughs> yeah. to have just a cold caller on the team but anyway um so so the, the the one thing i've i've kind of said regularly is is trying to joe's point have a focused dialing time so what I wouldn't do is have a list and then call them and then spend five minutes planning the next call, then call them and then guess what? They don't get through. I would do an hour or two on a different day or whatever, how you structure your days up to your employer and things. But if you were given autonomy as to how to do that, I would have your planning two hours where all of the prospects you're going to call, you do visit their website. You do do a bit of, you know, and if they're all from one industry, 
to look up, read some industry news about them first, about the industry, have a quick look at their websites to glean something and make a note of it so that when you're calling, you literally are able to dial, hang up, dial and carry on because I think that's much more focused. I've When I've seen people stop and start, on an average day, they'll call 15 or 20 people. If you want to call 50, 60 dials, spending two hours planning those 50, 60 dials, you will then easily in six hours do 50 or 60 dials and all that information's ready and you're in a rhythm. Um, to Joe's point, do have the regular breaks. So, you know, 45 minutes of heavy dialing, 10 minutes of a bit of a breather, and then off you go again. Do go out for a walk at lunchtime. I do think that clears your head in selling. I think, you know, that, that and, and also be persistent with your data. Um, you know, if they say no, um, you know, I would give them a call again a few weeks later if you have the ability to do so to say, I know I called you a few weeks ago, but, you know, if you, that's if you genuinely believe there is a need to talk to them. So, yeah, structure, um, lack of distractions um, and regular breaks would be my three tips. Uh, next question, Joe. Okay, so um, Elisa in Stockholm. Elsa, I think talk- that is, isn't it? Oh, sorry, Elsa. The gatekeeper. They've gone from so the gatekeeper. They've gone from the business, which we know they have, based on the fact that we're remotely working. Um, if they do exist, they now have an easy excuse not to pass on the details as the point of contact, because that point of contact works from home. So how do we deal with this? How, what do we do now? Ah, um, this is a tough one, actually. It is. I'll, I'll have a go first because um, being out of selling for four years, but running sales education and L&D function for a business, um, the number of cold calls I received in that four years was horrendous. So in the end, I asked my employer to remove my contact. I didn't want a phone anymore. I didn't want a phone number, a mobile or a landline, a direct dial, because I was fed up with it. And unfortunately, I suspect that's going to bite me on the backside because I'm now telling our employees to do this, you know, to do to try and contact these heads of L and D, these heads of HR, um, certainly for for the bigger organisations. But what we now have to do is use social media, sadly, to contact these people. So LinkedIn, and the problem is, to Joe and my point that we said earlier, s- selling is an art and a science, and how do you convey the art of your personality in with the science? And if I'm honest, I can smell a copy and paste message a mile off. Uh, And I immediately mute that person. And by the way, I also mute them if they contact me within 24 hours of um, connecting with me because blatantly they're not interested in relationship building. Um, And if their first message is of any form of sales message, I block them. I don't block them, I mute them. So then they're still connected to me and then I might unmute them a couple of years later. But for me... What we need to do is if you are doing cold calling via direct messages is be clever. First of all, um, if you are going to message them off the back of them saying thank you for connecting, then make sure it's just that and you leave them alone because they won't then mute you. Um, And, you know, don't ask them. I'm also sceptical of the question that some people put in their open messages as well. Hey, you know, thanks so much for connecting um you know um anyway let me ask you how do you do this right now i know what you're doing (laughs) so don't bother um so for me the ones that have stood out are the ones that are a little bit unique and incidentally we're experimenting with this at the moment and we're producing custom videos for prospects and, and sending them to them so in their inbox it's a message from the sales prospect person saying 
conscious you know thank you for connecting and their name um you know here's a couple of minutes about us um and you know hopefully if you've got any interest then let us know and then they leave them alone and what you then do over time is build up um more messages that are around their articles that might be interested to their industry i saw this article i thought this might be of interest to you and make sure it's an industry relevant article so those things can be helpful to then build up to it but if i'm honest there is no silver bullet right now because i think at some point hopefully offices will resume and those switchboards will open up once more that said um if you've got lots of people like me that will continue to work remotely um i think the world of cold calling is going to have to change and it's how you disrupt your noise through the the white noise of everyone else's messages that's going to make you stand out possibly. Joe, anything to add to that? I think the only thing to add is whilst gatekeepers are probably not as obvious as they were, or there may be not as many gatekeepers as there were before, I still think there are gatekeepers. So if you want to try and sell to somebody and you've got to get past the gatekeeper it's all about the relationship you build with them so if you ever try to shoot a gatekeeper down or disregard a gatekeeper that's one sure way not to get to the right person so keep the relationship on, on a good in a good place um try and maybe do a little bit of explanation as to what you want to speak to the person about so almost do a little mini sales pitch to a gatekeeper because one the gatekeepers genuinely want to feel important because they are quite important i guess um so make them feel important give them a little bit of information talk about the benefit say that you just like an email address or a contact number um to make those first introductions and then just try and keep in touch so persistence is always going to be the theme through any type of sales role. Um, but yeah, that's probably the only thing that I would add. And when you mentioned about somebody sending you an email going, hey, hey, Joe, hey, Anthony, great to meet, great to speak to you. I'm thinking, you don't know me. You know, I talk to my friends like that, my family. Hey, how are you today? Not a brand new prospect. So there's being personal and then there's almost being too personal. That's how I would see it. I have one more um, story quickly, which might be of interest to, to the listeners. I know one very successful salesperson who spent a week contacting receptionists and connecting with receptionists on LinkedIn yeah, to say, exactly. hey, I know you know you would ordinarily be putting me through to such and such. Can you give me an introduction, please, to X, Y, and Z? And actually, it worked really effectively because these receptionists don't tend to get salespeople messaging them. They go now straight to the decision maker. So if you can empower those people by getting in yes. touch with them via LinkedIn saying, look, I'm trying to get hold of whoever it is in the business. Can you point me in the right direction? Is there an email you can give me? Um, he surprisingly did very well with that method. And when I checked in with him a couple of weeks ago, it was still working for him. So sometimes looking for contacts that aren't deluged with inbox messages may do you no harm at all. And then, then connect with the point of contact on LinkedIn saying, Joe from reception said to connect with you. I hope that's okay. That tends to be more likely to get a reply than a, hey, how are you today? How do you do your learning at the moment? Get lost. Um, we don't have time for the last question, so we'll save that one for the next one because it's a funny one anyway. So we'll save that one yeah. for next time, won't we, Jojo? Um, what's your what's your plans for the next uh, week then, Joe? outside of life at Tri Digital? Side of Tri Digital? Yeah, we do have lives outside of work, don't we? Or probably not. <coughs> Well, yeah, but not really much at the moment because we can't go anywhere. No, no, nor us. We're going to be doing, I think, I feel spring is in the air. So as we record this, it's 14 degrees outside, according to my phone. I've not actually been outside today yet, but I might no, go. I think I, but I spoke to somebody this morning and I said 
in my garden, well, not in my garden, but behind my garden, there is a massive blossom tree. And obviously I sit and I look at the garden sometimes, the garden sometimes, and two weeks ago, there was not one single bud on that tree. And now it's full of pink blossom and it's amazing. So I'm just sat here watching this tree grow and bloom. Um, and actually it's quite inspirational because spring is on its way. Oh, Joe, that tells yeah. you that she spends too many hours in the conservatory, doesn't it, every day? But, <laughs> yeah, that's because um, you work her so hard. Yeah. Oh, we're a team, come on. Oh, uh, no. Anyway, um, look, everybody in the audience and also for you listening, thank you very much for listening to our first ever sales podcast from Seedle. Um, please keep the listener questions coming in. If we have more questions, we'll devote more time to us, time to it. But hopefully you've got some value from today, even if you're just listening. But this will be out every wednesday on the podcast platforms and generally speaking we record this live on a tuesday unless one of us is off and then we'll either bring in a guest um to uh to do it instead or something else but um anyway i've been anthony and she's been Joe. wow thanks that was what what an exit what a mic drop moment that was um anyway um keep the listener questions coming in uh salespodcast.seedle.co.uk um and please obviously download if you can and thank you very much for your time bye bye Bye, everybody.